This audio recording is produced by Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous, also known as FA. FA is a program based on the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. It is free and open to anyone who wants to stop eating addictively. The following is one FA member's story of recovery. The opinions expressed here are those of the individual member and do not represent FA as a whole. If you are new or uncertain about FA, we encourage you to listen to several stories to gain an understanding of what the program offers. For information on the FA program, please visit our website, foodaddicts.org. This meeting is being sponsored by the FA New England 12-Step Committee for the distinct purpose of creating tapes for the 12-Step Committee tape library. Those who wish, please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I came through the doors of this program 25 years ago, and I never believed in miracles until I I came here, and my life has changed so dramatically that I myself are in awe when I look at my life today as to what it was like when I, as I was growing up and when I came into this program. I'll tell you a little bit about where I came from and what my life was like and what happened to me when I came into this program. I was born 69 years ago into a family of six children and parents who were immigrants and who worked really, really hard and didn't have a lot of time to... um, to be spending time with their children. Uh, My mother was someone who took care of the whole world. She cooked and she took care of everyone who didn't have something to eat. My father worked very long hours. I had four older brothers who were pretty wild and a younger sister who I took care of from a very young age. There was only two years difference, but I became her mother at a very young age. And I always tried to make order out of chaos because our home was full of chaos. No one talked to each other. There was a lot of yelling. There was a lot of screaming. There was a lot of control. And growing up, it seemed to me that the place was dangerous. My sister and I um, sometimes really had to hide behind the bed because there was so much going on with the boys fighting and running. And anyway, uh, food in my life when I first was growing up was not an issue. I was thin until I was probably about seven years old when they took out my tonsils. And food, I think, began to taste different. As I got a little bit older, I found, uh, you know, a little money to be able to go down to the store and to buy the things that I wanted. And ate things that I shouldn't have been eating, but not good food. Uh, I can see that sugar at a very young age was very important to me. I can remember the first things that I ate because we didn't have these things at home. And so it was the first time that I had chocolate milk that I bought in a store. I still remember that wonderful taste. I remember uh, the foods that I could buy at school in the lunchroom. I remember the brands and the names and what it looked like and what it tasted like. But I also know that it was never enough. That even though 
My little tummy was hurting because it was filled. I always wanted more food. And eventually, uh, of course, the food took over and uh, I began to gain weight. So I was a heavy teenager and, uh, and missed out a lot uh, of what other, pe- what other kids my age were doing because I was heavy. I pretended a lot. I pretended to be different than I was. I lived in a fantasy. I never let people really close to me. I always felt a little out of step, and I, and I didn't understand when someone would say to me that I was their best friend because I really couldn't believe that anybody would want me for a friend because I was really two different people. I was one inside feeling a lot of insecurity, not liking myself, really ashamed of who I was and where I came from, and then the other part that out in the world acted like I was someone different than I really was. So I never really uh, brought people home to my house and, um, and never shared really what was going on with me. So, of course, I couldn't understand why anyone would have me as a good friend. I never let them really see who I was, so how could I be their friend? And uh, when I was 16 years old, my father died. And he was probably the only person in my life that really showed me love. Uh, He was a very compassionate and a very kind man. And he was uh, someone who really believed in honesty. And and I adored my father. And he died when I was 16 years old. And it was very, a very difficult time for me, and yet nobody talked about things like that. I knew that every day when I came home from school, I could expect to see my mother cooking and cleaning but crying, and as soon as you walked through the door, the tears stopped and nothing was said. I had a hard time in school, and I wanted to drop out at least to lower classes. The teachers didn't let me, but, uh, and I'm grateful for that. But I always wanted to run away, and I didn't understand. And I was very hard on myself because I thought that I was lazy and uh, that I didn't want to do uh, what I needed to do. Looking back on it today, I know it was really sad because I was going through a terrible loss, and nobody talked about it. I probably needed some help then, but I didn't get it. And so I graduated high school um, And, well, before that, uh, after my father died, my brothers who had been in the service came home, and they looked at me fat, and they were very, very disgusted with me. They told me that I looked terrible and that I better do something. The truth of the matter was I thought I looked pretty nifty. I (laughs) I was doing my hair. I started to wear lipstick, and I thought I was doing all right. But they came in, and they were brutally honest and said I'd better go on a diet. And I did, and that was the first diet I went on. Because I was really a good kid, you know, I did whatever I was told to do. And uh, so I lost 32 pounds, and I was down to a normal size. And now I looked like everybody else, but I really wasn't. I was full of fear and doubt and insecurity. And still play-acting, trying to be somebody that I thought I should be, but I really had no foundation to who I was. While the other kids were growing and, um, and maturing, I was always running away in the food. So uh, now I had a normal-sized body and started to live 
what looked like a normal teenage life, going to parties and dances. I met my husband when I was 19, and I had a fantasy of that I was going to meet Prince Charming. He's going to be tall and handsome. And we were going to go off into the sunset. We were going to have children and, and a lovely home, and everything would be in order. The chaos in my life would be over. And so we fell in love. I met my husband, Gene, when I was 19. And uh, he was everything that I thought that I would want. He was tall. He was handsome, black hair, blue eyes. And uh, we had a very fast courtship. We were going steady in two weeks. We were engaged in two months. And we were married in less than a year. And uh, we both wanted children, and we had our first child exactly a year later uh, after we were married. And the dream that was supposed to be didn't happen. I had a colicky baby. I tried to keep a house that was perfect. I uh, tried to be the perfect wife and the perfect mother. And here I was with a baby who was crying, who wasn't eating, and the dust balls were growing on the, on the floor. And what did I do? Well, there was only one thing that I knew how to do, how to deal with life, and that was to eat. So I gained a lot of weight, and um, the one thing that I always wanted to be was thin. And so even though um, I gained this weight, I, I knew that I needed to do something. And I went to uh, a doctor. Someone told me about a doctor. And I went to a doctor who gave me diet pills and, uh, and a needle. And I'm someone who was always afraid of everything. But I wanted to be thin so badly that I never questioned what was in that needle or what was in those pills that I was taking. I would have done anything to be thin. And I took those pills and I got thin again. And uh, for a little while, a uh, very short while, uh, I was, again, a normal-sized body. And trying to be perfect and, uh, you know, eating once in a while and then not eating and, um, and keep trying to keep that body with a lot of control. And then uh, we decided to have another child, and um, I got pregnant again. And this time, uh, I was carrying twins, but I didn't know it. And so um, during that pregnancy, I had a doctor who was very, very strict, and he gave me a very strict diet, and I tried to do it. But what happened was uh, that he didn't believe me when I said, I'm not eating anything, because doesn't everybody say that? And so I had gained like 27 pounds with twins and went into the hospital not knowing I was going to have twins and woke up and said, and what did I have? And they told me I had two beautiful boys. And I didn't believe them. So I guess, you know, I really felt like I was an invisible person and the people really didn't know that they were talking to me. And every time someone came by and asked me what I had, I told, they told me I had two boys. And so I ended up that week you know, with a grin on my face from ear to ear. You know, this surprise was the surprise of the year for me. And came home with uh, two babies. There was only two years difference between 
the twins and my youngest my oldest daughter and uh life was really really hectic i was working constantly taking care of these children and i always think about it and think you know what i had a nervous breakdown but i didn't have time to stop and have it i would do my crying at night when i was so tired that it sounded as though it was someone else's voice that was crying um and i ate a lot you know i didn't know how to deal with my life i didn't have a pattern in my life i came from chaos and disorder and i tried to put order in my life but i didn't have a pattern and a role model and i didn't know how to do it and so i ate when the bottles weren't warming up fast enough i stood by the bread box and i put food in my mouth and i gained weight and this started a period in my life of dieting and binging there was never a time when i ate from this point on that i ever ate like a normal person either i was dieting and feeling deprived that i was different than everybody else i ate less than everybody else and yet i was heavier than everybody else seemed to me or i ate and then i felt terribly guilty and i hated myself and over the years uh i just can't tell you how many diets i went on i saw a cartoon this morning in a magazine and it was two heavy women talking and they said it's not hard to go on a diet and the other one said i know i've gone on 100 times so you know i went on all those diets but they never worked they were temporary fixes it was putting a band-aid on a terribly deep deep wound uh the struggle was beating me it was just beating me down uh i just had no self respect i it was so important to me to be thin and i could not do it i cooked i shopped i i fed the whole world because that was that was the role model that i had that was what my mother did and i didn't know how to break that pattern i thought that was the right thing to do i thought that was what you do if you're a woman and you're a mother and the struggle went on for uh for the next uh 7 years and then my children were in school and it was time for me to live my life there was now some free time for me but i didn't know what to do with it and i didn't know how to live my life my life was in the kitchen it was taking care of my family and so the answer that i and there was a lot of fear you know the, the idea of going out and getting a job or going to school was terrifying to me i hid out in my kitchen and in my home and made a lot of excuses a lot of times about not being able to show up and not being able to do things uh i was probably one of the healthiest sick people you ever saw because i was always ready to do something and when the time came to go i couldn't show up so i was feeling dizzy and nauseous and not feeling good just this vague kind of not feeling good and so we we decided to have another child actually i did and i had a fourth child uh my youngest daughter so now i had two girls two boys and uh started the whole scenario over again after i had um my youngest daughter i did not lose the weight and when i got through with that after i delivered the child 
I looked like I hadn't had a baby yet. And now the struggle was so much worse. I was 30 years old, and the weight did not come off. It just did not come off. I couldn't, the progression of this disease is that I couldn't do what I had done before. I could go on diets and diet for a couple of months and take off weight. I couldn't do it anymore. I would start in the morning and I would be eating by the afternoon. And sometimes I just didn't even have the strength to start again at all. And so I got to be um, like, I was hitting close to 200 pounds. And, uh, and I hated it, and I was wearing women's sizes and struggling and having to go to the specialty shops to buy clothes that were made very cheaply, but you paid a lot of money for them. I had no choice. Um, when I found something that fit me, I would buy, you know, uh, this year they were showing one color. You know, everything I bought had the same color. I had no choices. And um, I reached a place where... I had gone back to work part-time, and my life was just getting as though there was nothing in it for me anymore because I was so tired of the struggle, so tired of the, um, of the weight issue. And as my children began to get older, the perfect life that I figured out for me and for them was just not happening. These kids had minds of their own. They were not doing what I wanted them to do. And I became very, very depressed. There was nothing left. Going on a vacation held no appeal for me. I thought more about how was I going to go there because I had no clothes to wear. And I would have to go shopping and all the work and that it involved to, to get there and to do it. And after a lot of struggling, a lot of years, depression, um, my husband and I began to grow apart. There were problems with the children. He you know, would lose himself in the television. I would go to work, do the things that I needed to do around the house, uh, and then lay down. So my life was work, eat, and sleep. And I was ready to, to check out. I was not someone who would have committed suicide, but I was just waiting for life to be over. There was life held nothing for me anymore. And then someone that I met while I was uh, working my part-time job told me that they heard about a 12-step program that was devised uh, after Alcoholics Anonymous and that if I wanted to go, because they had written away and they were finding out information if this program was around here. And I said, sure, because... You know what? Laying down, I wasn't dying, so I knew that I'd come to a place where I needed to do something. And the, the old, the same old stuff, all the diets and the doctors and all those things that I did and hypnosis, none of that ever worked. So perhaps something new. This sounded like something new that might work for me. And so I was taken to my first meeting, and I knew that when I walked through that door that this was something different for me. I heard hope. I saw, I felt comfortable for the first time in my life. I felt as though I was a place where I belonged. They talked about a disease. And that made sense to me. Why, with all this dieting, with all this willpower that I had, why did I not be able to do the simple thing of keeping the weight off? 
And so it made a lot of sense to me that I had a disease, that I was full of fear, doubt, and insecurity, and that there was an answer in the 12 steps. And so um, I came to a meeting, and I was willing to do whatever it was that they told me to do. I don't know why, uh, because nothing I ever did before in my life did I ever do 100%. Anything that I always did, there was always that little bit of my own self-will and that little adjustment that I made. And this time, I was willing to do anything. I came in, and they told me that I needed to get a sponsor, and I got a sponsor. Of course, I got a sponsor that was 400 pounds, but, you know, everyone was, it was a, the program was, you know, the blind leading the blind. There was a lot of huge people. And this woman seemed kind and compassionate to me, and at that point in my life, that's what attracted me. And I know that God, you know, was directing my recovery from the moment that I walked through these doors. Because this woman who was 400 pounds and who never got better had a husband who was in AA. And he talked a lot. And she knew the AA program inside out and out. And she passed that on to me. And, um, and she was there for me every step of the way for a while. And I never looked at the fact that she wasn't doing it. I was, I was listening to what she told me that she had to do, and I did it. And it was working for me. My life began to change. I was very shy. I was very quiet. They told me that I needed to participate, that I needed to get up and to read a tool. And I thought that I was going to die because I had high blood pressure. And getting up in front of a room was absolutely terrifying to me. What was even more terrifying was to see, let someone see that my hands shook and that my, my voice quivered. But I did that anyway. I would have done anything. And I will never forget the first tool that I read and the pounding in my head and the shaking in my voice in my hands. But God was working in my life, and then he used that to help other people. Uh, I went to meetings, and it didn't matter how far they were or how long I had to travel. I knew that something was happening in my life that I was beginning to change. Uh, I was abstinent as abstinence was defined in those days, which was certainly not what I know today. But I was doing better. It was actually a diet with a wonderful 12-step program. And it worked for a little while. But eventually, uh, eventually I picked up the food again. There came a time when, you know, nobody really stayed abstinent in those days. And if they had a couple of weeks of abstinence, that was a big deal. And when you made telephone calls, you probably found someone in a binge. But, you know, I wanted the recovery that I saw in some of the people who were from AA who came and led the meetings at that time. And I felt if this could work for a drunk who was telling this terrible story of how he had lost everything in his life, and I saw someone who was responsible and respectable, then if it could work for him, then certainly it could work for me. So even when I got people that were eating and even when um, I saw people not taking off weight, I knew that this could work, and it gave me hope, and I was going to do whatever it was that I had to do. 
So uh, even though I picked up the food, I knew that, you know, I would start to get better. I would start to feel so much better when I wasn't eating. And then I would pick up the food because I just didn't, you know, the fear, the doubt, the insecurity would come back in, and I didn't know where it was coming from. It would suddenly be there. First I would feel wonderful, and then one day, there it was. And uh, when I would call and, and look for help, it wasn't always there. And when I was abstinent and other people were not abstinent, they began to get angry at me. And so periodically I would pick up the food, and then when I picked it up, every bit of negativity, every bit of hope that I ever got went down the tubes. And I just knew that there was the bottom line was the food. And that was something that I hadn't looked at for before. Well, around uh, when I was in this program, um, about three years, I finally decided that no matter what, no matter what, I could not pick up that food because the answer was in surrendering the food. So from my third to my fourth year, I was abstinent. And then I found out about the AWOL program. And I found someone who had this kit and was willing to lead an AWOL. And I asked her if she would do it, and she said she would, but she needed a co-leader. Now, I was the old-timer at this time. I, I had more abstinence than anybody around. And after a little going back and forth about who she might do it with, it ended up that I was the only one that was available to do it. And I was willing, because in my heart, I knew. I knew that the answer was somewhere in these steps, that the food needed to go down, but there was something more that needed to happen. And I'm so grateful for AWOL in my life, because that is the foundation of my life. It is absolutely the foundation. Uh, these 12 steps are designed for living, and they have changed my life. Number one in AWOL, what I found out was, that this is addiction. You know, we always talked about compulsive overeating, but I knew that it was more than that, that it was addiction. There was something that always puzzled me, and that was when I picked up a bite of food, which would be with a little rationalization, I'll just take one bite, I'll just take one sliver. Whenever I picked it up, it would be the next thought would be, the hell with it, I broke my diet, might as well eat. And it was only in coming into this AWOL program that I began to understand that it was addiction. And that was the biggest lie I ever told to myself, was that I would take one bite and that it would be okay. And then the rationalization that I broke my diet was also, it was absolute denial. And I came to understand that what was wrong was that I not only was a compulsive overeater, but I had a physical addiction to flour and to sugar and to quantities. And that when I put that in my mouth, I no longer had a choice of whether I was going to stop eating or not. The only way I could stop was when I was so full that I could not put not one mouthful in my mouth and I would go to sleep. And that's the kind of drunk and addict, uh, addicted person I was. I didn't graze a little bit so that I could just feel normal. I either didn't eat or I ate to oblivion, and I just passed out. So, and so that was just the beginning, because that's step one. 
you know, admitting my powerlessness, coming to understand what was truly wrong with me, and being willing to ask God for help because on my own I couldn't do that, and I knew that. And so asking God for help and saying thank you and getting on my knees in the morning and asking God for help, reading my literature and writing, using all of the tools, weighing and measuring my food, not eating flour and not eating sugar, and, uh, and going to meetings and being of service. I found out that the road to recovery is through unity and service, and that is the unity is putting the food down and service is reaching out and sharing, you know, the gifts that are given to us as we live these 12 steps and helping somebody else. So the miracle in my life is that the changes that have taken place in my life. My marriage changed because of the 12 steps in my life, because I got honest with myself about who I was. We lived a life of uh, not communicating and not not wanting to hurt each other. And as a result of that, you know, resentment built inside. And and our marriage was really, uh, we became very distant to each other. And, and the problems with the children, we really weren't dealing with them. And so one day at a time, living this program, being willing to ask God for help and to be honest and to turn things over, you know, the most important thing was that I needed to take care of myself first learning how to weigh and measure my food, getting enough rest, taking care of myself first was something that I never knew how to do. I was on the bottom of the list. You know, I took care of everybody else first, and there wasn't any time for me. And I had to learn that I needed to be at the top of the list, that this was, they said a selfish program, but I needed to say that I explained it more to myself by saying this is a self-caring program that I needed to do what I needed to do for myself. And as a result of that, my life changed. Uh, my children, uh, I needed to put them in God's hands. And I learned how to pray in this program. I only knew how to beg and bargain with God. Please do this for me and I will never never do anything wrong again, which of course was not what I could do. But learning how to say, God, watch over them, show them the way, help me to help them. And I found out that God does a better job than I can. That was, that was so hard for me, letting go of my children. Getting on my knees sometimes in the beginning, I would say, okay, God, just for today, they're yours. Just for today, I won't do anything, I won't interfere, I'll give them to you, and I will just wait. And, um, but maybe tomorrow I'm going to take it back, you know, you better do a good job, because tomorrow, I don't know. But today, they're yours. And then today, you know, things would work out, and today and today, you know, add up just the way it does with not eating one day at a time. And it becomes easier to let go when I could see the results in my own life. Um, my mother uh, was a relationship in my life that was very difficult. My mother was very controlling, and she didn't like um, she didn't like the changes that were happening in my life because 
she couldn't control me the way she did uh, before. There were things that when my mother wanted me, we lived in the same house, and when my mother wanted me, it didn't matter that I had four children and that I had a job and that I was doing things. When she wanted me, she wanted me, and I was still, you know, that 12-year-old little girl to her. And there were times when she would come to my door and ring the doorbell and say, when are you getting off of that telephone? And I'd say, is there something wrong? She'd say, no. And I'd say, well, as soon as I'm through talking. I didn't react. I didn't get angry. I just said it the way it was. And what happened was that she began to respect me, and I really didn't do anything. All I did was take care of myself and do not eat, ask God for help, and do the best I could on a daily basis. My children uh, were very, very, especially my daughters, were very, very enmeshed in me. My oldest daughter would call me umpteen times a day. Uh, her, life, um, her life really got to be a mess. She got married, and she, had, um, and she married a man that was very sick. And she would call me every day, and she would tell me about what was going on and ask for my help. And I, I didn't have the answers for her. I didn't live the kind of life that she was living. And in my new abstinence, uh, when she would call, and it was, it was dinner time, it would really make me hungry. It would make me upset. I was getting depressed over it because I, I didn't have the answers for her. And there was a time when I came home, my daughter called, and I said, I'll call you right back. And I sat, sat down with my family, served them dinner. They all ate. I never said a word. And they left the table with all the leftovers on the table. And I wanted to eat. And I had all of this stuff bottled up in me because I didn't really talk about this to anybody. And I had a choice. I had a choice at that moment that I could have picked up the bite or I could have gone to the phone and made a telephone call. And by the grace of God, I made the choice to go to the telephone. And I called my sponsor. And she said, how are you? And I said, not good. And she said, well, what's going on? Is it the food? And I, I opened up for the first time and I told her, I told her about what was going on with my daughter. And I told her that she calls me every day and she wants answers from me. And I don't have them. And she said to me, do you know what your daughter is doing? And I said, no. She said, she's made you her higher power. Why don't you give it to your higher power? And I got goosebumps. And I couldn't answer her. And I put down the phone and I went into the bathroom and I cried, and I said, God, I don't know what to do. I just don't know what to do. Help me. And I, I had an experience that I will never forget because I felt as though the hand of God came down and lifted that load from my shoulders. And two minutes later, I was in the kitchen washing dishes and singing. I was hearing my voice, and I couldn't believe I was singing. And that was a spiritual experience that has helped me, that no matter what, I know that when, no matter what it is that's going on in my life, that if I sincerely, with a lot of humility, turn to God for help, 
that help is always there. I know that God was always there in my life, but my heart was not open to that. And I thought that I should be able to handle things all by myself. And what a wonderful, wonderful gift it has been to me in my life to know that I do not have to do anything, anything alone. God has been there every step of the way. I've needed to have that willingness and that honesty and that open mind to do the right thing, to put that food down. And uh, I needed to do that and, and to ask God for help and that God is always there and showing me the way. The grace of God has been in my life every step of the way. The facts are that the biggest thing that's happened for me is that I don't eat and that I don't want to eat. And what comes naturally to me today is when problems come into my life is to ask God for help. And, you know, in my disease, there was an automatic response in my brain that no matter what kind of discomfort there was in my life, the automatic response was eat. And it's just not there anymore. There is such freedom around the food. The automatic response in my brain today is ask God for help. Say the serenity prayer. Be willing, just be willing to be open and to take the direction and the guidance from the God of my understanding. My life has changed completely, completely. I have in my life peace, serenity, nice relationships with people, total freedom from the food, and a thin body. You know, I will never take that for granted. I came in here because I was fat and I was miserable. Depression is not a word in my vocabulary anymore. You know, it's like I've learned through these 12 steps to be able to look at myself, to be honest, to know what it is that I'm feeling. Uh, AWOL has been a foundation that has carried over into the meetings. And what happened was that we began to deal with food addiction rather than compulsive overeating. And in our meetings, we began to make changes, you know, with group conscience. And changes were made so that we, we put in a definition of, uh, of food addiction. And also, what came about was a definition of abstinence. Because one thing that always troubled me about the program was that we did not have unity around the food. And I know that we need to have unity the same way that AA needs to have unity or NA needs to have unity. The one thing is that, you, and food is not easy. It's not easy to do that, to have unity around the food. So we have a definition that is broad enough for people to be able to find their food plan, but there's unity. We don't eat flour. We don't eat sugar. We weigh and measure our food, and we stay away from individual binge foods. And with that, there is a unity around the food and a singleness of purpose so that we can put the food down and get on with living these 12 steps, which are a design for living. You know, the old role models that I had, you know, I had to put them all aside. Thank God, you know, I didn't carry on on the path that I was going. And, you know, the buck could stop here. And that the foundation for my life today are these 12 steps. The relationships in my life are really good. My children live their own lives, 
and they're respectable and responsible people. The relationship that I have with my husband is one that I never dreamed could happen. We talk to each other. We can get angry. We, we express it. Uh, we don't have to be quiet and not talk about it until it, it goes away. Uh, it's just such a remarkable change in my life. And what's happened is that I am now a member of Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous because of the unity that we needed to have around the food. And before that, before we, we started Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous, what happened was that 90-day um, meetings formed all over. The meetings that were designed after the meeting that, that we had uh, in our home area was a um, 90-day commitment and, uh, to, to sit and to listen so that you could learn about the program, a commitment to abstinence uh, as defined with no flour and no sugar. And, uh, and these meetings really began to work. People that stayed with this program, miracles happened. It was wonderful. It was wonderful to see that what was happening for me and those around me were happening for people all over, and it began to spread all over the country. And um, as this happened, uh, some of the 90-day meetings began to get some flack because of their commitments to um, addiction and to no flour and no sugar. And so in order to help other people around and to find this unity, you know, with God's guidance every step of the way, a wonderful fellowship of food addicts in recovery, Anonymous, has sprung up. And people who had been working another program for many, many years and have gone up and down and up and down in this program are coming into this program and finding a secure program of recovery. I am so grateful to God for the direction and for the fellowship of recovery that has brought this about. I am just really, really touched every time I come into a meeting and I hear over and over people who are in recovery, people who are still in pain, those who are new, those who are old, but all doing the same thing. Because it doesn't matter how long I'm here. It doesn't matter. I still do everything, everything that I have done right along, that I work all of these tools. I live these 12 steps. I live these slogans in my life. First things first, easy does it, live and let live. I take this into every area of my life. It's not just at meetings. I take it into my home and I take it into the workplace and to, into my life, period. So I am so grateful for what this program has given me and I know that I'm here for the long run and that as long as I can walk or be carried, I will be at an FA and recovery meeting. And thank you so much. Let's take a moment of silence and then all those who wish join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity 
to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thank you for listening to this audio recording. To hear additional recordings or to learn more about Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous, you can visit our website, foodaddicts.org.